Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them with me this morning uh, to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Today, as you saw in the email, those of you who read your emails from the church, we're starting a new series on uh, the book of Philippians. And uh, for those of you who know me and have been at Ascension for some time, you know that I'm breaking from the norm a bit uh, by picking another New Testament book, being that our last, new, our last book that we studied was also a New Testament book, the book of First John. So why am I doing this, you might ask. Well, I'm not going to give you the long, verbose answer. I can do that in private if you're really interested. But I'll give you the short version. Once we get into a book... I love God directing our hearts and our vision week after week as we come to a text, and I don't quite know what the Lord is going to say to us through that, and and the Lord has a way of speaking right to us in our needs, in our lives, and some of you have given testimony to that uh, t- testimony of that to me personally. But, but getting to that point of, of choosing a highway, uh, of choosing a road to get on, can be painstakingly difficult. Uh, just ask Pastor Ed. We have agonized ourselves uh, over this, over a cup of coffee. So as I was wrestling with where, where to go as a congregation, where, what to set our hearts on for the next several weeks, for the next few months. In light of where I had felt led to go through the Psalter with Psalm 24 and, and, and Psalm 85, um, I found my hearts, my heart, and, and I found our hearts uh, drawn here to a book that I've read countless times, probably you have read countless times as well, but a book that I have never preached through and I have never taught through, so I've never really dug into it or, or studied it deeply. Why Philippians? Because this is a book, among other things, where Paul majors in encouragement. He majors in encouragement and, and a strong, concentrated minor in, in joy, right? He uses the word, as most of you know, many of you know, he uses the words rejoicing and, and joy over a dozen times through this letter. And it seemed to me that that's, that's where my heart needed to go. In a world such as ours, I know I need more of these things. Joy in the gospel, joy in the Christian life, and I suspect you do as well. I mean, the reason that Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, to the Philippians, is because this letter is really the extent of his pastoral ministry to them. It, it's, it's literally all Paul can do as their founding pastor because he is in prison. He is in house arrest in Rome. And yet even, even in those circumstances, Paul is proclaiming and encouraging joy among God's people. This is his most optimistic and encouraging letter. And it reads kind of like it reads kind of like a missionary letter. You know, you who support missionaries, we support missionaries as a corporate body. We receive missionary letters from time to time. And that's kind of what this is. Paul wants to, first of all, thank the Philippians for their support. So we'll learn this later 
in the letter, but the Philippians had actually sent a member of their congregation from Philippi to Rome with a gift, with a monetary gift. And you say, well, why does Paul need a monetary gift? He's in prison. Because Roman prisons at that time, particularly the kind of imprisonment that Paul is in and house arrest, they weren't wards of the state. The state wasn't responsible for their care. They relied on friends and family to support them, even while they were imprisoned by the Romans. And so Paul needed money. He needed support for his basic necessities. And this church had sent a member all the way from Philippi to Rome in order to deliver this gift. But Paul also wants to update, not just thank them for their support, but to update them on the gospel ministry, to encourage them to fight for joy, to fight for unity in the Spirit, to remind them as he sits in prison that Jesus is worth all of this. It's a great letter. Paul loves this church. We're going to dig into the little bit of the history of Paul and the church of Philippi in just a moment. They're not perfect, but the Philippians are in a much better place than the churches of Galatia, which we were in recently, or the church at Corinth, which had all sorts of problems. And by preaching this to you now, I'm not saying that that we don't have problems that we need to address as a church, certainly do, but I do want to infuse in our life here at the beginning of 2020, even as I made all those announcements, the optimism that we have for this coming year of ministry and of our life together as God's people. We need encouragement. We need joy. We need to be reminded of who we are and where we're headed, and most importantly, we need the gospel, right? Week after week, day after day. And so today we're gonna, we're gonna just dip our toes into this book and look at the first two verses. I'm gonna try to give some background context that's not in those first two verses that will hopefully serve us as we kind of look at a vision for the entire book. Most of Some of you are looking at your watches and you're saying, man, it is already late, Nate. And I know it is late. Uh, I knew that there were lots of added things today. And so uh, I've tried to be briefer than normal. We'll see how that works out. But I'm going to try to be briefer than normal. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Philippians chapter 1, just verses 1 and 2. Just to dip our toes in for a few minutes this morning. Listen as I read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Dear Philippians, that's what Paul could have said. (laughs) That's how he could have started this letter. That would have been okay. It certainly would have been better than to whom it may concern. 
Much better than the, the thoughtless greetings that we sometimes get in the mail, those greetings that are full of hot air, dear valued member, or dear valued customer. And you think, yeah, right. But for Paul to begin like that, it would have been not only too impersonal, but it would have been passed over way too quickly, like we do these days with greetings. And it wouldn't have fit the convention of the day. The convention of the day in the first century world in which Paul lived would be that letters that we, like the one that we find here, would include the author who would name himself, the recipients of whom he's writing, and then it would give some kind of a greeting. Paul does that here, but with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the intentionality of his own heart, he infuses the standard ancient greeting of author, recipient, and greeting with sacred truth. And it's rich. We could spend way more time on it than we're going to spend even in these few minutes. Two encouragements from this greeting. Two encouragements this morning from the Apostle Paul. Two identities that he wants us, the church, the people of God, to enjoy. Meaning, to find joy in. And the first is this. Enjoy the freedom of servitude. Enjoy the freedom of servitude. It sounds contradictory, right? Freedom through servitude. Kids, for those of you who are listening, servitude is just being a servant of someone else. But that's exactly what Paul intends to communicate. That's exactly what he communicates for himself, for Timothy, and by implication and by invitation, all those who follow Jesus, captivated by the risen Christ, delighted to serve him in whatever that means. Whatever that looks like. Paul will call the Philippians later to imitate him, but for now he simply sets before them his own humble service before their new Lord, King Jesus. Remember, from prison, (laughs) from restrictions placed upon him by Rome, he delightfully declares that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. But even more striking than that is the fact that he uses the word doulos, which can also be translated slave. Slaves of Jesus. Paul and Timothy bought at a price, owned by another. How countercultural this was, particularly in this place, right? I mean, here in this Roman context, in a culture where where giving up of one's rights was, was prevalent, Paul says, you and I are not our own. We are servants of another. Let's talk about Philippi for just a moment and get some of the backdrop of this city and and how this letter came about. Philippi was a city that was steeped in Roman culture and practice. It was founded by a guy named King Philip II, hence the name Philippi. King Philip II of Macedonia was the father of Alexander the Great. And for all you history geeks out there, you're like, ah, yeah, Alexander the Great. 
The prominent city of Philippi had later been taken over by Rome and had been made a Roman colony, which means that all the legal rights and privilege that the citizens of the capital had, the capital being Rome itself, all the legal rights and privileges were those of Philippi. So this was a significant Roman city. It was steeped in all things Roman in slavery, in servitude, in emperor worship mixed with all kinds of worship of pagan deities. That was the kind of place that Philippi was. So how in, a wor- how in the world did a church spring up in this arid place? Well, Acts 16 actually tells us some of the story. Acts 16 speaks of Paul who was formerly Saul, who had been met by the risen Christ, now traveling around the ancient world proclaiming that this risen Christ is God, is the Messiah, is worthy of everything. And he receives a call from the Holy Spirit. Remember this story? It actually begins with a bunch of doors getting slammed in Paul's face. Can't go there, can't go there, can't go there. But then he receives a vision. And the vision is, come to Macedonia. And so Paul does, in obedience to this vision, in response to all the closed doors of going where he wanted to and going elsewhere, and he ends up in the city of Philippi. But there's no synagogue in Philippi, as you might imagine. Philippi is a Roman colony. It's steeped in Roman practice. There's no synagogue. All it took to start a Jewish synagogue in a Roman city was 10 Jewish men. There weren't even 10 Jewish men in Philippi. And so what does Paul and his team do? At this point, Paul is traveling with Silas. He's traveling with young Timothy. And he's traveling with Luke, who will record all these travels What do they do? They find some women. Acts 16.13, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together there. And it was out of that encounter by the river that they met Lydia the seller of purple goods. And Lydia became the backbone of the church at Philippi. Not only did she believe and was baptized, but all of her household believed and was baptized as well. Remember after that, Paul and Silas rescue a slave girl from the abuse of her masters and the slavery of demonic presence. They were jailed. And so then they converted the Philippian jailer who was astounded that they still were in their cell despite what God had done. You see, I say all that just to say that God had done a great work in this pagan place. Turning the hearts of those who were enslaved to Rome, to, them, to themselves, to enslaved to whatever, back to Him. And one actually wonders whether when this letter came 
to the church at Philippi. This is probably a dozen or so years later after the founding of the church. One wonders if, if Lydia is sitting in the congregation, if the slave girl is sitting in the congregation, if the Philippian jailer is sitting in the congregation. And now Paul reminds them all that he and they belong to Jesus. Jesus has rescued them from every abusive master. Certainly the slave girl knew that all too well and has made them his own. And this isn't harsh. No, this is, this is joy. Listen to one of my former professors, a quote from, from him in one of his sermons. He says, everybody is somebody's slave. No matter how much you would like to think otherwise, your every plan and action is driven by a desire to avoid pain or to achieve gain by pleasing or placating some lord or other. The master you serve may be success or money or what money can buy. Your Lord may be affection or romance or reputation or respect. You may be enslaved by other people's opinions, terrified at the prospect of rejection or ridicule. Every master other than Jesus will exploit you and disappoint you in the end. So yes, Jesus enslaves those who he saves, but that's a beautiful thing. Romans 6.18, now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living, Paul tells the church at Rome. And so we declare with joyful hearts that our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says something else here before we move on from this first point about the context of this service, of enjoying the freedom of servitude. He, he tells us about the context. Paul brings into view here which he only does here, he doesn't do this in any other letter, he brings into view here the organization and order of the church. Do you see that? He reminds them, the Philippians, that they live and that they serve with loving oversight, with elders, overseers, as you see there in your English translations, who know, who lead, who feed and guard the flock with deacons who serve and facilitate ministry among us. It's a reminder that the church and the organization of the church is not some human construct. It was there from the very beginning as God's gift as God's reminder that we are not alone. We are servants working together for the kingdom to which we belong, and that this family, this spiritual family that is Ascension Presbyterian Church, this organization of elders and deacons and members is God's gift to us as we enjoy being servants of our King. So that's the first thing in this letter. And the second, we'll spend brief, uh, even more brief time on this one. The second encouragement is to enjoy the privilege of being set apart. You can see I'm just honing in on these two descriptions 
that Paul gives to the church at Philippi. Servants and saints. In Christ, we are not only servants, but we are saints. That's a word that Paul uses over and over and over again in the New Testament, some 60 times. And it just describes a reality and a calling. It's a reality because we are saints in Christ. We are not saints in and of ourselves. We are not saints because of our good behavior. We are saints by our virtue of our union with Him. And it's a union that's outlined for us in a beautiful way in Romans chapter 5, where Paul tells the church at Rome that we were in Adam. All of us. We were in Adam. His original rebellion brought about our nature of rebellion. His rebellion is the source of our hearts that wander and rebel. But now, a second and final Adam has come. A new representative whose wounds become our healing, whose righteousness becomes our holiness. And as we place our faith in Jesus, as we turn from self to His sufficiency, we become saints. And we become recipients of what he says here to the church, grace and peace. When Paul says grace and peace, these are not throwaway words. These are deep and abiding gospel realities. Because of God's grace shown to us through Christ, true peace is ours. Peace with God, peace with others, peace within ourselves. True shalom, as the Israelites would say. So there's this reality that we are saints, and then there's this striving that we continue to strive to be set apart in God, right? We live lives apart from our sin. We live lives apart from the world. We live lives in servitude to our King. It's a simple greeting, but boy is it packed full of encouragement of reminders of of who we are. Brothers and sisters, despite what's going on in our world, joy is ours. We are servants and saints of the King. Grace and peace are the gifts that we've been given. In my office, there's a, a little painting that my wife painted for me uh, years and years ago. And it has one of my favorite lyrics. It's a Michael Card lyric. If you grew up in the 80s like I did, you probably heard Michael Card. I wanted to read it to you just as a closing encouragement this morning, following Paul's encouragement. It's a song called, There is Joy in the Journey. He says, there is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. All those who seek it shall find it. A pardon for those who believe. Hope for the hopeless and sight for the blind. To all who are born of the Spirit, who share incarnation with Him, who belong to eternity but are stranded in time and weary of struggling with sin. 
Forget not the hope that's before you. And never stop counting the cost. Remember the hopelessness when you were lost. We are hopeless no more. But joy can be ours. Saints and servants of the King. May grace and peace be ours. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word, for Paul's simple greeting of encouragement and of enthusiasm about living life as Jesus's in a world that's not our own. Father, I pray as we embark on this study in these weeks and months to come, that you would, as we've been praying for weeks now, that you would revive our hearts that You would restore to us the joy of our salvation, that You would embolden us in the Gospel, that You would change us and continue the work that You've begun in us. For the glory of Your name we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen.